0: Yeah, not, not real friendly. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in new the news. Scoob Obsessed episode 182 is recorded live December 5th, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson where we find all sorts of things on the west side of the state of Michigan. Joining me this week we have Mac, the dive mentor, and I should add identifier to that one. How are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm not sure what you mean by identifiers. Oh, well,
0: I think that will come out in the news. And also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great. I don't get a nickname. I I I, I, I can can't never be. seem to I, I never can seem to come up with one for you.
2: I, I well this week I could be the assistant photographer.
0: <laughs> I, I think that I think you do more than that, but uh, yeah, if you if you want to go for that one, we we could do that. Okay. Thanks for everybody who's joining us in the chat room. We have a few people coming in, some new faces, or at least uh, new handles in the chat room, I should say. Oh, let's go ahead and uh, get into the news, and then the news will roll into a little bit of news. Um, I feel like I should do a disclaimer this week, because one of the topics that we're going to have might not... We'll try and handle it as tasteful as possible, which I know can be a challenge for us, but uh, not not normally a topic that we bring up. But when you're so close to actually being in the news, I don't know of any other way we're going to be able to approach it. So let's jump right on into the news. First one was uh, bubbling natural resource waters are under attack. Well, it is
1: close to home, and it impacts everybody, and it will impact everybody more so as the years go by.
0: Yeah, this is... Uh, talking about water quality, and that specifically is referring to Lafayette County, which is known in Florida for a large producer of milk and dairy products. And what is happening is, what what I've you know, going down there and diving, the water in those caverns is amazingly clear, and it makes me wonder if we go in, if we were to have the similar type of caverns up here, would it be anywhere near that clear? And in this article, they're they're going on where they're starting to see. Where there's heavy agriculture, uh, the water quality is starting to diminish. And Let's see if there's a big point that they bring out here. It says, I think we we're trying to do the right thing, but it's a complicated problem. Engineer fixes aren't going to be enough. We're going to have to get farmers to change, homeowners to change, everybody to change their practices.
2: Well, if it's a situation like we have in our area,
0: <clears throat>
2: we've got a, a – it's considered a dairy farm, but the cows never leave the barn. So they might have two or 300 acres of this, quote-unquote, farm, but the cows never leave the barn.
0: No, they, they Their don't.
2: Their food is brought into them on conveyor. Their waste is washed into a trough and then pumped into a tank or a pit, and it gets pretty rank in the summertime with you know all that waste in one area.
0: Yeah. The, the requirements here in Michigan is you have to have – so much land per animal but like you said, they're not spread out over the land, they're con- they're concentrated in one location. They said the average cow produces 128 pounds of waste per day. The waste has to go somewhere, it's soaking down to the ground in the aquifer and then into the springs. Stevenson said dealing with human waste is one on top of the priorities, that includes septic tanks, Fertilizer is a huge problem. So in this particular case they're, they're, it's not just the dairy even though that's adding a lot to it it's the human problems. If you have septic tanks and those are going to leach down in, and I think a properly maintained septic tank, uh, can be healthy, but in Florida, I don't think that's like up here. You know, I'm sitting on, you know, a hundred feet of sand is going to be different than be, having basically uh ground where you're right into your, you know, you, you've got those springs flowing right up into the surface and then back down again. It's kind of a Swiss cheese of rock down there.
2: And it's rock. There's not, you know, a little bit of sand on the surface, but you get below that. It's rock and coral and hard stuff. Yeah. No place for the water to perk but into the aquifers.
0: they say regardless of volume of algae in a spring, the nitrate volume of 0.35 milligrams per liter is the standard needed for springs to be Class Three water under the state's water classification system. Class 3 is water safe for swimming, boating, and fishing. He said few springs meet that classification. He said the changes in agriculture, residential, and other practices could reduce nitrates, but she questions whether 0.35 milligrams is attainable. Yep. And then there was one quote, I think, up above where they were asked if there's going to be anything that was going to fix it, and they said there's just not the political will to go and address the problem. So unfortunately, it's probably got to get much worse before. It'll get better.
1: Well, you can't figure it can get too much more worse there. You look at the sinkholes they've been having in the last couple of dozen years, all in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like they say, the, the two issues they have is excess pumping of groundwater. And that's not just in Florida, that's everywhere. You'll notice that, in uh, fact, I saw a listing the other day of how deep cities were having to go now to get the quantity of water they need to support their systems. And it's going down and down. Yeah. <clears throat> You're talking about the sec, uh, septic systems. Yep. You're correct if they're working good, meaning they're in place and they're intact and they're not jammed up. They do a good job of separating the material over a wide area and letting the water filter down so you can replenish the aquifers. Our biggest issues I have now is all the ground that we used to have to soak that up is paved over. And we're pumping groundwater out like crazy and not able to put it back in correctly.
2: And it doesn't go back in the same place as it's coming out. No, no, there I guess, was
1: a... I'm going to say, right here, we're at elevation 600-some-odd feet to go down before we even get to the sea level aspect. So we've got filter mediums here, you know, and we've got different layers of our aquifers. Mm-hmm. As you start getting down to the shallow place where you're down by the, the ocean, like Florida, you know, where do they got to go to get fresh water before they start running into seawater?
0: Yeah, they got to be careful, because I've heard of cases where... Uh... You pump so much fresh water that you actually start drawing seawater into your aquifer.
2: That's been happening in South Jersey for about the last 15, 20 years.
0: Yeah. Um, Around here, it's it's interesting. Oh, what the heck just went. uh, Is that you or me?
2: I'm still here. Okay. I still hear you.
0: Yeah, somewhere I had a commercial in one of these windows. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. It it must have been me. Uh, Oh, you. There it is. Okay, it started up on me again. These uh, internets, it, internet, internet—it's just a fad. The internet's going to go away. That's we we're, were talking about water aquifers. Well, one thing that we did here in in Michigan is there's a big race of how quick can you drain the water away from the land, and then what you ended up doing is making these straight canals and big storm sewer systems and pulling everything away. away, And then that's why the I think some of the water quality in the rivers had gotten so bad, is that all your you know, fertilizers and nutrients are instantly being taken right to the lake where in the past, you know, leaves would fall and it would la- fall on the ground and then it would be filtered through swamps and fens before it actually got to a river or lake. And that, that I think some of the, uh, like if you notice now when you see a large retailer build they have to have uh, drainage areas that will collect the water. You've got to have retention ponds. And those, I, I think those retention ponds have done huge amounts of benefits for uh, the environment. I, you know, if you've got cars that are leaking radiator fluid and oil, uh, those storm drains are running to there, and that kind of acts as a filter, uh, spreads it out, and it can break down uh, and help reduce some of that getting into our rivers. And then this next article we've got, oh, and i got to remember to paste this into the chat room, is Lake Owasso fish kill baffles DNR scientists. So what they're saying on that lake is that there's some weird chemistry going on that happens right when ice starts to build up. Uh, In the summer when algae starts to die off, that's when you get your oxygen being starved. But they're saying that uh, with the ice building up, uh, plants are still getting light through the ice, and they continue to grow. So they're, they're having the opposite problem uh, where they may be getting too much oxygen. Even so, they've taken measurements, and they said that uh, the oxygen levels, which are uh, 17 to 20 parts per million, still isn't above what they consider to be unhealthy for fish. So they're kind of puzzled.
2: Interesting to see what will happen as time goes on. If they intervene and it gets any better, or if they just let it go and we see what happens.
0: And this next one up is divers are being invited to take part in a Costa Rican shark tagging project. They say if you're a certified diver planning on being in Costa Rica in December, you could become an active participant in the Saletian tagging project to augment the marine conservation effort of Mission Tiburon, which I guess means shark mission, a nonprofit organization that works to protect the, what is it, Elsa, Elsa, Mo Branch Resources? Do they just make these words up? I think so. Alasmo Branch Resources? It d- makes absolutely no sense. Is that Spanish? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, according uh, to an article out of chhoy.com, Shark Mission is ready for this year's tagging project. In 2012, 50 volunteer divers helped identify seven shark mating and feeding sites, plus they got to tag one shark and various sea rays. Volunteers are usually marine biologists, even though Engineers, physicians have also signed up in the past. Shark Mission expects more than 50 volunteers this year. This initiative has been welcomed by the volunteer divers who are not always able to continually be active in such projects. and must be certified divers a day before we begin. We will train them to recognize certain species. We will teach them to use our waterproof note-taking equipment. This Selechian tagging project will take place in the pristine Cano Islands Biological Reserve, which is part of the uh, Corcovado national park in costa rica the costa rican stars previously reported on the shark missions efforts to train conservation officials in Guadacastle. is that right Guanacaste. yeah I, I like to I just add letters to words too just to make it even more confusing or Yeah. so if you so if you want to go and tag some sharks there's your opportunity right there and max for some reason his audio stopped working so I'm, I'm getting all sorts of messages in the background, in the chat, yeah, I guess.
2: Been, I've been trying to uh, help him try to find to get it back on.
0: But Yeah, it, I have to think that it's something that has to do with Skype settings. I'll have to head over there again and try and get those settings going for him. Yeah, you know, like you said, there's probably a window runner in the background that's got any screwed up. Yeah. That's yeah, Microsoft's really, hybrid. they've really screwed the pooch. And in this one they've done, uh, it's been the last two versions of Windows. So, yeah, good riddance. Bye-bye, Microsoft. Just wish there was another option. You know, Mac is good, but it just equally is irritating. There's an arrogance in the Mac operating system, and that uh, that's what I use at work, and it just drives me nuts. It's like, no, you can't change that. You're not good enough. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, we set that up because we are the experts. Yeah. And then this one, this is, this is where Mac, even with him not having audio, I'm sure he's, I could probably almost hear him from here. A World War II submarine was found off Hawaii. And this is another one. We just ran an article about this not too long ago, and it was a similar submarine. There wasn't many of these made. It's a Japanese 400-class submarine. And marine archaeologists say they have located the vessel, a 400-foot-long Japanese submarine that carried three single-engine aircraft tucked into its hangar and enough fuel to circumnavigate the Earth one and a half times nonstop. Until the 1960s, the Japanese 400-class subs that were built during World War II were the largest. Their mission was never realized, which was to take Japanese fights to the United States, to ashore. initially unleashing planes, each carrying an 1,800-pound bomb on New York City. Their size, technology, and their missions have anointed these vessels almost mythical status among naval historians. This, according to James De Delgado, who heads the Marine Heritage Program at National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration's Office of Marine Sanctuaries in Washington. Discovery was announced Monday, but historians have long known about the subs. The Naval hastily examined all three of the captured submarines. The I-400 sister sub, the I-401, was also found off. Uh, Hawaii in 2005, but discovering such vessels again, especially in the first class after decades of uncertainty about where they rest, is important. The ocean's the biggest museum we have, he says. Whenever we find one of these things, it takes it out of the books or off the Internet, if you will, and makes it real again. Japanese is not the first uh, country to consider doing this. Uh, During World War II, Germans uh, did the same thing in the front decks of uh, submerged submarines. Uh, U.S. and France and Great Britain had tried it, but had eventually... Uh, fallen out of favor, German, G- Germany and Japan continue to develop the concept. However, the planes were designed mostly for reconnaissance. Now, let's see what the depth. I think I saw the depth was like over 2,500 feet.
2: Yeah, 2,300 feet.
0: Yeah, it's a that's a little beyond my
2: they, uh, my rating. They they put them deep because they didn't want the Soviets to get a look at them.
0: Yeah, that's a, they were supposed to split the spoils with the Soviet Union, but when they saw them, they said there's no way they wanted the Russians to have access to this, and so down they went. So uh, after the discovery, the State Department has met with U.S. and Japanese officials in Washington, turned over photos of Sunken Sub and explained how they discovered it. Now, since this is spoils of war, it was property of the U.S. and technically uh, those who uh, won the war, but if it had gone down during the war, then it would still remain property of Japan, kind of one of those weird little loopholes there. But see I wouldn't that be great if that was in the Great Lakes to go and dive on that. Oh it sure would. In in diveable depth. Oh yeah. Oh man. That'd be a good we, one. We just gotta
2: gotta get some deeper technology and get a submersible on the uh the World War One sub we got out there. Yeah. Start I, showing I, other people some video of it. it. You know, other than the people who found it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think that's one that Eventually, somebody's. We're going to get some. Probably going to be some recreational-ish subs that will really start to uh, get that one to go. And let's skip. Uh, let's see. We're going to jump on to video of the week, and we and we covered this one right when it happened. It's it's amazing how things can go viral. You know, in my mind, it seems like this happened what almost two months ago, didn't it? This is the one where the chef uh, was discovered alive in the in an air bubble in the barge i was
2: thinking this was a different one but maybe it wasn't
0: is this a different one yeah no this one is the same one The this okay. is uh, about 100 feet down the bottom Atlantic Ocean diver had already pulled four bodies from the sunken tugboat then a hand appeared in the tv monitor for we'll continue on thanks for everybody chat room's been having some churn tonight it's amazing we had anybody left after mm-hmm. all this mess you know, they want to hear this
2: late but they're here now so that's yeah, they, they,
0: they want to hear what we got to talk about um But this video, the man was trapped underwater in a tug. So this is the same one. He is down at 100 feet. He had been 72 hours underwater. The 11 other seamen aboard the tug, uh, which was JSCON 4, died. And I guess it was just a matter of time before the video got leaked out. He said he survived on a single bottle of Coke. I started calling on the name of God. I remember the remnants of the verse of the verses I read before I slept. I read the Bible from Psalms 54 to 92. My wife had sent me the verses to read that night when she called me before I went to bed. Using hot water to warm up, the rescue crew attached O'Keen to an oxygen mask. He was put in a decompression chamber and safely returned to the surface. Before the slow ascent began, the voice in the video could be heard asking O'Kleen to give a thumbs up if he understood what was about to happen. Slowly raised his hand and stuck out his thumb. Good job, my friend. Well done. You are a survivor. So I haven't actually seen the video. Have you gotten a chance to look at it, Jim?
2: No, I didn't watch it yet.
0: Yeah, I, f- I figure once I got bandwidth, I'm, I might take a peek at it. Dave in the chat room saying it was a good video. I, I, I kind of avoided covering this because we covered the original one, and then uh, yeah, they seemed to go viral. So,
2: oh well. I thought I, you were going to talk about the other video.
0: Oh, well, I, th- I think we will. I think we're going to go from that. So, in this case... Well, I don't know. I don't think we want to give too much away. Let's go and talk about. So, what we'll do is, is it's not too often where we're in the news. But uh, and when I say we, I'm referring to the Michigan Underwater Dive Club, which meets, was it the third Tuesday of every month? Okay. I'm here, Darren. You there, Mac?
1: Well, I don't know. Can yeah, you hear me? Yes. Yeah.
0: Hallelujah.
1: We're all back. We're I have all, no idea. all back. I'm not touching a thing, so. Okay, where did I, where did you guys leave off?
0: We were, well, we're just back about to, to to talk about our dive. Saturday's obviously. dive.
1: Let me jump into one, one item we've covered about the fish.
0: Yeah, you want to go back to the fish?
1: Just, just an item. And today's paper, there was an interesting article called "Invasive Species DNA Found in Lake Michigan." Uh, there's an undated photo here. It shows an Eurasian ruffle. I swear, when you see this fish, we've already seen this fish, and it's uh, an invasive fish DNA been detected in Chicago area waterways. I think that's the one we've already seen on the wreck.
0: What, what kind does it look like?
1: Uh, it sort of looks like a long skinny perch, and the top fin goes like all the way back, almost back to the back dorsal. It's a very familiar-looking fish.
0: Huh. And they
1: did find carp already. They've caught two different varieties in Lake Erie now.
0: Of the Asian type?
1: Yes. Uh, Not the one that jumps with the the noise of the propellers, but two of the four. Yeah, well, they they say that
0: that the, the Asian carp in Asia don't jump, so I think that's just some weird strain. Well, it's,
1: it's, it's got a name to it. You know how all these got out, don't you?
0: Yeah, people uh, introduced them intentionally because they like them.
1: No, well, sort of. We actually brought them over from from every place: Japan, Europe, or actually, I think they did come from Asia. They came. They brought them in to be used in sewage ponds to to keep control of the vegetation. When we had the Mississippi overflow, it flooded those areas. Oh, right. They got out. The same way we've really screwed up the uh, Okefenokee and the one down there in Florida with the hurricanes, why mm-hmm. pythons, and the anacondas, and all the other weird animals that normally aren't here are here in force is because flooded the floods came, destroyed the, uh, the shops that had them. People, you know, their animals got loose. They went out into the jungle, and they're really doing well. We usually do it to ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, a lot of times when you look at these, like uh, when I lived in Midland, we had the, I probably told this story before, but we had the gypsy moths. Yeah. And that was just somebody trying to say, hey, I want a silkworm, but I want one that really makes a lot of silk. So they combine
2: that. I mean, you've got. They they will decimate everything in sight.
0: Yeah. They They love oak trees.
1: I mean, the killer bees is ours. We tried to make one a little different to have different yep. characteristics.
0: The Africanized bee.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we personally, we do. I, the one I don't like is the S.O.B.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I I get concerned with the S.O.B.s myself.
0: Yeah, they they can they can be a handful sometimes. Yeah. So invasive species, we we do it, but at some point, I mean, I don't think we need to encourage it. But it just like you wonder fighting it if there's even any hope of limiting them i think it probably depends on the species and how well they repopulate
1: well it always comes down to economics when i have to do something i will because and you know and then by then it's you know it's biting at your ankles so you have to do something
0: well well, they have the same discussion on wild boar you got down in texas where billions of dollars is being destroyed each year by the boar and you got people up in michigan who wish we had more of them
1: yeah i mean they are good eating
0: well they're good eating but they destroy huge amounts of property Yep. And and they they can be dangerous.
1: Well, like I said, uh, the ones out west are making the holes so the cows are tripping at them, breaking their legs. And like I just the damage to the to the uh farmland and make big holes so your tractor gets stuck. Again, we do most of the stuff to ourselves, it seems.
0: Yeah. Yep. Done that for quite a while.
1: Yeah, and we continue. We don't seem to learn. No.
0: Nope. Well, let's get – so we'll give you some links to this next story, which is actually about the mud club, Michigan Underwater Divers, uh, on Saturday. Who? We brought our own reporter. Who is that? Who who is that who's a member of the mud club? Who is that, the Michigan Underwater Divers
1: Club? Those guys are world infamous.
0: Infamous is for sure.
1: Yeah, Mark Perrin uh, is a freelance. He works for uh, the Herald Palladium and others. Uh, We invited him to come on down and cover us for our turkey dive. And Mark used to be a member back in the late 70s, early 80s. So uh, even though I couldn't get him to put his old suit on, he said, come on down and take some pictures and say, you know, "She was down there from the old gang.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so he came, and uh, we had pretty good turnout, I thought, for the turkey dive. In fact, I thought I was late. I got there about five minutes to noon, maybe five to ten minutes before noon. And we there were already two ice shanties put up and people had gear staged up on the pier. And let's see we had uh Mac, you were there.
1: We had I think six divers basically and then we had eight support.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh yeah, yeah Kirk wasn't we had lots of help. Yeah, we had lots of help. Kirk wasn't wasn't yeah. gonna dive this uh this time, but Bob got in. So we, we got everything all staged. <laughs> I, I can I took a few Shots, just because I always like to have something for when I post the show notes. Go ahead and use a photo. And what what was the the air temperature? Fifty three. Yeah, it was sunny.
1: Yeah, it was a great day.
0: Great, great beautiful, sunny day, especially for the day, the uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving.
1: And the visibility, uh, even looking down from the surface through the water, looked to be three to four feet. Yeah. And those who do go to the club website, we did update the pictures that show the staging area, shows us getting in the water, shows us when we suddenly change from fun dive to serious dive. And there are some links there to take you to the articles and additional pictures.
0: Yep. So that's uh, com is where you can find that. Now, uh, so we we pretty much, the, the, the conditions here, this is uh, Benton Harbor, Michigan, it's a Fisherman's Park, which is near Whirlpool Corporate's newest building that they've done a beautiful... How many stories is that, Jim? Is that like five or six stories of uh, glass?
2: Oh, three, I believe.
0: Three? Well, they went fancy. They went those high ceilings. Yeah,
2: three three stories, high ceilings, but, you know, large, all glass. Yeah.
1: It has been a boon to the park because they have uh, recultivated the lawns, made better sidewalks. There's more areas to sit. And I believe the activities we saw even Wednesday, they're purely putting in electricity, which I bet dollars to donuts, they wind up putting in some very nice lights, which would be a really nice addition.
2: I think they're going to put some real nice lighting around those walkways. And they've added some walkways into the park and graded it.
0: Yeah, because if you notice there where we had the the pier that we walk on, then they had some handicap-ish type trails. They'd actually poured concrete ramps the kind of made them up so they're real nice. I mean there's like almost no gap or edge between those trails and the pier.
2: They redid the piers, all new boards on the piers, new decking,
0: new railings. Yep. Nice, a nice park. Yep. And then the, the at the water's edge, you know they they don't have what I would call a traditional steel wall, which is a steel steel wall. This is one that is a fill steel wall or seawall a concrete, concrete rip-rap, re-rod.
2: wrap that's been dropped, dumped in there to build up the wall, of the bank.
0: Yeah. And that bank is a fairly steep bank. I'm going to say it's not completely vertical, but it's not too many feet off of vertical.
2: And you're about six feet from the bank to the water line and it drops pretty steeply after that. You go out, yeah. what, about six, eight feet and you're 10, 12 feet deep.
0: Yeah, easy. And it's uh, not exactly easy to get down. It's not intended to be even at all easy to get down. They call it Fisherman's Park, but other than that pier, uh, not really good.
1: There's multiple areas up there. There's not just one pier. they look at the picture. They can see their sections. You go the entire length.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's about
2: four fishing piers that, you know, jut out over the water's edge. Not deep into the river, but they go out over the water's edge.
0: Yeah. You can't do a giant stride off these piers into the water, though.
1: It wouldn't be one. Yeah, it wouldn't be really, really healthy.
2: Yeah.
0: So we end up doing is... You wouldn't
2: want to do a second.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So so what we end up doing is uh, getting our gear on minus the fins and kind of do a little scramble to the water's edge, and then you go in, and you've got concrete that's just under the water that, you know, kind of make it a challenge to get fins on and float. Uh, and then what did the, what was the water temperature, would you say? 39.
1: 39.
0: 39, that's about what I thought as well. Right there, it felt just uh, just under 40. And, and I, of course, as everybody knows, was diving my, my trusty old, and I stress old, wetsuit. Now, Mac, you were in a dry suit.
1: Yes, I was. Thank you very much. Bob I was very comfortable.
0: Bob was breaking in his new to him dry suit, and Jim, you were driving diving your newest dry suit.
2: Yeah, but I don't call it a dry suit. It's more of a semi-dry. Semi-dry. <laughs> Actually, it's more of a sealed
0: wetsuit. <laughs> sealed wetsuit. Now, now joining me in the wetsuit front was also Mary Beth. Mary Beth was uh, diving a wetsuit.
1: Yes, she did. The only part she forgot was she didn't quite have somebody give her a hand, pouring a little extra water down the armpits.
0: Yeah, because I, I know that she was... Cold almost the minute she got in the water, and uh, that, that's unfortunate because you you, you got to at least be warm when you get started.
1: Well, it wasn't her body so much; it was her hood leap. And you know how miserable that is when you get down there and you hit that, and it goes up the top of your head. Oh yeah. Forty. It's that's
0: not. Like, what's it? It's like one of those ice cream headaches without the ice cream. Yes. hmm So uh, we all pretty much were in the water within four or five minutes of each other. And uh, with Mary Beth being a wetsuit person, I figured that her and I would be the first one. When, what, at what point did you stop hearing me?
2: When you dropped.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think you were talking about uh, Mary Beth had was getting cold. She hadn't gotten out of the water yet.
0: Okay. Did we get? Did Mac you hear me? Uh, okay. So yeah. So Mary Beth was in the water. Mac, you were giving Mary Beth a hand, and then Bob called out something, which I I wasn't quite sure what he said. What was it that he said? Oh, crap. Do we not have Mac? Ah. Uh. Hang on.
2: If you want to hear Mac's comments on the uh, this next section, you're going to have to sign into the chat room, as Dave says. Chat room bonus.
0: Chat room bonus. There you go. Okay. So at this point, Mary Beth was starting to get a little cold. she just gotten in the water. Uh, hood didn't quite seal. She'd I think she had a newish hood and it didn't fit quite as tight as her previous one. So she's getting that ice cream head rush. Um, Bob had surfaced and it was, he called the Mac and it sounded like he said, Hey Mac, I think I found a body. And I wasn't sure, you know, I mean, Bob usually is not, you know, when he's in the water, isn't too much of a kidder. So Mac went over, I stayed with Mary Beth and also uh, Sir Larry was in there with us. I forgot to mention Sir Larry. Um, so then Mac went down, and then he popped up, and that's when he told the reporter, "To yep, that's what we've got." So he said, "Call 911." And you know, I believe Bob. Yeah, you, know, you know, when Bob sees something, he's he's that's pretty pretty much what it's going to be. And then with Mac going down and verifying, we knew we had something, but we didn't know what. Now, where were you at this point, Jim?
2: I was just getting ready to enter the water.
0: Okay. And kind yeah. of in between that, in between them calling Mac over, Mary Beth wanted to get a, a dive in. So I went down, Larry went down, and Mary Beth went down all to the bottom. And even though the Viz was a good, you know, four and a half feet in the water, which is great for this part of the river, along that concrete there's tons of silt that's collected on it, and you lose anybody who's more than six inches away. So as soon as we were six feet down I lost sight of her, and I and I went all the way to the bottom. And when you got to the bottom, which was on sand, uh, this wasn't too bad. It was about three feet easy. And then later, as I found out, when you got away from the wall, it got even farther. But I kind of waited down there for a second to see if Mary Beth or Larry ended up coming down. After about 30 seconds of not seeing anybody, I figured something was up. So I, then I popped back up to the surface, and Larry and Mary Beth were there. And this is at the point when uh, Mac um, verified that, yeah, he—, he also saw a body. So what they did is Bob marked the body. He had his dive flag. And then, and and Jim, could you, do you know where he, he put the flag? He,
2: uh, put his flag on the, uh, barrel or the piece of metal that was nearby, you know, right close to the body. Yeah. And then when Mac went down to double-check, because Bob was pretty confident that he had found a body, but at first he thought, it's either that or it's a fully clothed mannequin, but I don't think it's a mannequin. And so that's when Mac went down to check. And Mac's flag got tangled up with Bob's flag. Their lines got tangled. So Bob just left, Bob left his uh, line reel. He's a metal and aluminum line holder. Mm-hmm. He left his line holder there on the bottom as a weight, and Max got tangled, the two lines got tangled, so Max brought his line back over to shore. Uh, but they were hooked onto the sharp metal edge of the barrel, and they were concerned that if they pulled on them too much, it could cut the line. Yeah. So they just kind of held it loosely to... Mark the spot for, we knew the sheriff's dive team would come out. Either the sheriff and the state police would come out and do the recovery.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I remember Bob mentioning that he was worried that as Mac went down the dive line. Oh, let's see. Mac's trying to call. Let's go ahead and add him. You there, Mac? I don't know. Can you hear us? Yes, we can hear you. Great. No clue what's going on, guys. Can you hear us? Yes. Okay. You can hear me. <laughs> okay, so so why don't you tell us? Let, let's go. Let's back up to where Bob. What did Bob say to you when he when he came up that that first time?
1: Popped up and talked to me.
0: Yeah, when yeah, because you were over helping Mary Beth and Larry and I with in the water, and then Correct. Bob said, "Hey, Mac."
1: Right, and he basically said, "Would you mind coming over here and taking a look at and see if that's a mannequin or not?" So I turned Mary Beth over to uh darren i think you were still in the water by marybeth
0: yeah i was i was there by marybeth and
1: and to dan Scroop was on the surface because i didn't want to leave her until she was getting out right i turned around looked at bob went down scooted over to the edge came back up eyeballed the flag went over to the flag and down there was bob and there was the body bob was at the top part and i went from the waist down Saw the boots, looked like he had uh, weights on them, like you do uh, jogging weights. Uh, regular pants, had a coat on, and it was not a mannequin. There was no doubt. I signaled to Bob, and we had good three feet visibility, even though it was like particulate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, did the point of, pointed to him to follow me up and to the shore. We came straight up, went right to the shore. Uh, Mark Perrin was up there, and I said, Mark, you want to dial 911? We got a body. It must have taken the first squad car at about to get there, probably 12 to 15 minutes. Yeah. By that time, I said, "The hell with this!" I took my fins off and started scrambling up the bank. Bob did the same. By the time we got up to the bank, the second squad car came up, and from that point on, it it went from fun dive to serious dive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I stayed in the water for a little bit in case somebody needed something. I didn't know if they would want us to take the flags off or, you know. Put their marker or anything. Yeah, you know, I anticipated the dive team coming, but I didn't know how long it would take the dive team to show up. Um, and then Jim, you hadn't gotten in the water yet, so you were kind of waiting, so that you'd be a fresh diver if they ended up needing anything.
2: Right. I had waded into the water, but hadn't gotten submerged, so my suit was still pretty dry, and so I just decided I would stay out, stay warm, and stay fresh. And then went over and talked with the uh, detective when he arrived and asked if he wanted us to go in and shoot some video for him because they were trying to get an idea of what they had down there before the, you know, it's going to take a while to get the sheriff's dive team all together and set up and do their piece. So that's when he uh, said, yeah, if you can get in and get some video, that would be good. So that's when you and I hooked up and we got set up to go back and shoot some video for him.
0: Yeah. So, and for video, you had two GoPro cameras, you gave me one and then you had one.
2: Right. I figured that way we've got backup and a couple different angles and, you know, just more documentation, the better.
0: Yeah. And I not, you know, I've used a GoPro or another camera, but pretty much somebody turned it on the surface and I just took it down. So, you know, until you get used to something, you're never quite confident. I was convinced that I was going to either leave a lens cap on or not have it on and recording. You know to have it in the wrong mode or or something
2: that's better than pointing in the wrong direction so you all you get is your face
0: <laughs> yeah yeah a bunch of uh, you know 20 minutes of a selfie uh so at this you know i had i had uh after floating in the water you know i had a, a two minute dive with 15 minutes of floating in the water and i had gotten out and i was just starting to strip down when then uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody else had mentioned that you were going to go do video. And then seeing no other divers to dive with you, I said, well, you know what, I'll, I'll go dive with, with Jim. Uh, yeah, and the whole time when, you know, after the body comes up, all I can think of as a movie is Stand By Me. You know, we got the three kids all going to look at the, look at the body. Uh, so, and, and I've, yeah you know, I, I was on the sheriff's department for a number of years and I had done uh, search and recovery in the mounted division of which it seemed like even though we were on horseback, we always found people in the water. Uh, so I, it, you know, I, I had seen that and, you know, I, I'm happy to not see stuff that you can't unsee, uh, later on. But in this particular case, since there was a, a purpose that I said, Hey, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go in and we'll get some video. We'll, we'll help the police officers out. So we, <laughs> uh, they had, by this time they had police lines up and I think the cars were growing. They were like the, the squad cars are kind of breeding in the, in the parking lot. I think we are probably up to about six or seven at this point. Uh, and then I got caught in the police tape. <laughs> I couldn't. I was trying to duck under the police line to get down to the river. And I was, I, I thought for sure uh, I was going to have to be evacuated because I was leaning enough forward as I ducked under that I was off bounds and it caught me. And had it, had the police tape snapped, I, I couldn't get my center of gravity back far enough to get untangled. But if I went forward anymore, I'd have rolled the seven or eight feet down the bank and in concrete into the river. So somebody helped me. I can't remember if it was you or, or somebody else got me out of the police tape. Uh, and then I, I started downstream from where the flags were. Where did you start?
2: Um, yeah, well, we both went in about the same place. Okay. And we're working our way upstream and I stayed close to the shoreline and was going to get to the flag and drop down from there. And you went off more to the, Uh, Deeper water, the center. And then I, you know, got the reference point, came down, and was working my way down the rock when I saw that uh, jacket laying up against the rocks inside out. It just looked like someone had peeled off a jacket and. It was just laying there, a heavy coat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, that may have something to do with it. So I up and was asking them to get a second line because I was going to stretch the line across the bottom because they told us not to use their um, float lines. They were afraid that if we, you know, pulled on the float line and used it like an anchor line to pull ourselves down to the spot, we might cut it. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to work my way down around this floating line because it was kind of laying on the surface. So I called for a second line and was going to put it with the, some weights on it to mark different places and give them a line that they could follow to the body. But uh, they said, no, nah, don't worry about that. Just, you know, we, we got a spot for that. we see where it's at. We'll just keep going, go get the video. So I dropped down the second time uh, to work my way on down the rock wall to see if I could get some shots of the body.
0: Yeah. So as, as you're doing this, I was going upstream. I mean, as soon as we got in the water again, there was enough silt in the wall that we lost each other. I I was hoping to kind of keep you within visual distance and we could kind of do a spread because I didn't know where it was. I mean, when you look at the photos, you're thinking, gosh, that should be fairly easy to find. But I went upstream and what I I tend to do is gauge on the bottom where the current's going. And since I know I'm upstream, that's my gauge. And then I have an idea where the wall was. So I was try. I figured that if I was about five, six feet off from that, I should run into that area and then I could get a nice video shot, which would be a different angle than what you were getting. Uh, as I, I must've been, I must've worked my way farther from the wall or the current there might have been coming at a different angle. And at one point I got to, you know, cause you know, it, it, I can hear my, my heartbeat in my ears, you know, cause you've got a little bit of adrenaline going more than what I normally get when I'm diving, cause, my mind will imagine something much worse than what could possibly be there. And at this point, we haven't really described to each other what the condition was. So I had no idea. I didn't know what I was coming on. Is this somebody who's been in the water a day or is this somebody who's been in the water nine months? Um, so I was, I was coming up and I, I figured I, w- I was only, you because know, when you're swimming up against current, it's, you know, distance is hard to tell because you're fighting the current. So 30 yards, you move, you move six yards up. I got to a point in the river where the current drastically changed, where it started to come. And, it, and it's where the current came across the wall and then cut out. And at this point, I, I realized I must be upstream from the body and that that's the reason why the body had settled there. If it had been floating, it would have fallen in kind of a, a less current area where the, the current was cutting along the bank than out to the to the river. So I popped up real quick, got my bearings and the flag again, and then I went down. And this time, I, f- I found it within just a, a couple minutes, I came across the boots first. Now I didn't see the ankle weights, but again, you know, I, I was concerned with just, I wanted to make sure the camera got a good shot. And I had just seen an article or, or reposted an article on how to get good video with a GoPro. And one thing they said is make sure you're at least uh, 12 to 24 inches off of the object. So I was really focusing on getting a good shot. And then I, I drifted and got uh, video at all the angles i noticed that he was he looked like he was hugging a couple bottles i would say uh, half liter soda or Gatorade bottles it was it's kind of hard to tell uh, i then you know circled all the way around and then i came up directly from the body to that jacket that you had mentioned which was within 3 or 4 feet of each other just it was kind of like up the wall on the concrete and then i popped to the surface and they said that they that they wanted us out
2: yeah i think when you were right around the body, I when I went back down, I went down on the upstream side of that jacket and hit the bottom, uh, was looking upstream, and just kind of, I think I may have drifted right around the body, mm-hmm. and then uh, when I started working my way back upstream to get back to it, because I knew I had drifted down too far, uh, it was just, there was at times it was, you know, a total sealed out, so that must have been when you were, right there on it. Yeah, so when it, I finally came back up, you know, and popped up to tr- get my bearings and they said, you know, they wanted us out of the water. Um, I think you had already been there and shot your uh, your video by that point. Yeah.
0: Now, now, Mac, on the surface, how how was it when we were underwater? Was there anything going on up there?
1: Same, Mike, um, every fresh set of officers that came wanted uh who are you, name number, phone number, because <laughs> we initially, I think you had uh, you had the Benton Harbor Police, you had yep. the St. Joe Police, you had the Sheriff Department, and then you had the detective unit. So that's at least four different groups we had to talk to. Yeah. And uh, a little later on in that, they finally did get the rescue recovery divers in. Yep. Then they had the fire truck come up, and then the ambulance. Uh, so we did have a full parking lot.
0: Yeah, we, we filled that parking lot. There was every jurisdiction, I think, possible. And in Benton Harbor, I believe it's a coordination between the Sheriff's Department and the state police on, and they investigate all the all-found bodies as homicides uh, for homicide investigation. I think the state takes the lead using county resources. And the county has a di- a full dive team. So at this time, we got up and we gave the officers the video so they could look at it and... Understandably they didn't understand how the how the camera worked and I, I think when you view in the camera gym isn't it true that you you can only pretty much just view the the video?
2: Yeah, you can't do any speed up slow down edit anything like that with it. It's just uh, watch the video and you know as it runs it runs and it's a screen that's maybe one inch by inch and a quarter. So it's really tough to see, especially with any kind of background light, because it's not real clear video when you're shooting underwater. It's, uh, you know, the river's got a brown tint to it. Yeah. So well, it's almost and then, like a, one of those old Serpia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, I had, you know, probably the first half to two-thirds of my dive was nothing but bottom with no reference, so that you don't really get to see anything, and you're talking an inch-and-a-half screen. So uh, there's about five officers all huddled around the camera, and you know, by this time you and I had gotten out of the water and had had dried, you know, changed and dried out, and were trying to warm up. There was no warming, no warming up for a while for me. But uh, when we asked if they saw anything, cause I had I haven't I didn't know if I even had good video or anything, and asked them if they saw anything. And after probably 30 minutes of watching the videotape, they said, "No, nah, we didn't see anything on it." So at this point, I thought I saw that the the video was just you know garbage. I had goofed it up or something. Um, and then the dive team got there. Now, Mac, what did, what did you observe about their setup?
1: As uh, typical with most governmental agencies. They have a routine to go through, which is not all bad. And there, since it was not a rescue, it was recovery. Time was not an issue. So they took their time of dressing per procedure, testing out their gear, getting in the water. They then did a quick survey around the area. Uh, I think they may have also tried some video before they did any disturbing of anything, obviously looking for any kind of weapons or objects that might have been in the vicinity. Uh, they came up, reported it when the uh, fire department came because they had gear they needed to help retrieve with. Uh, then they went ahead and brought the body up. you got to compliment them on, because by this time you had three TV stations out there um, trying to get interviews from anybody and everybody. And they did a really, really good job of shielding both sides of the embankment when they were doing the recovery. So you were not going to see anything uh, on the newscast until they had it up on the gurney going to the uh, ambulance. Uh, So you got to give them kudos for that, you know, giving some respect to the individual. They were very, very good about that.
2: Yeah, they did a nice job of uh, bagging the body in the water and then, you know, making sure they had plenty of people uh, to pick it up and keep it laying flat as they lifted it out of the water and got it onto the stretcher.
0: Now, for each diver in the water, how many support people did they, they have? What was that routine like?
2: I would say they had at least two support people. There was one person who assisted each diver with their individual checklist and did their final checkoff. Um, one did both of the divers that went in. And then there were uh, line tenders and a communications person uh, on the surface. So there was you know, one line tender, one communications person for each diver. So for two divers in the water, that was four on the surface, plus the scene coordinator. Uh, the I guess he was the sergeant in the dive team, and he was the one that did the checkover and assisted the individual divers with getting all their gear on. And then when they went in, uh, basically one diver did the survey and the recovery, and the second diver was in the water, uh, you know, in his mask, uh, ready to submerge. You know partially submerged he was basically neck deep in the water but was on a standby where he could still see the whole scene from above the water but was only seconds away from you know joining the other diver if there was an emergency or needed
0: so there were two divers in the water and then were there two safety divers geared up or was it one
2: I don't recall seeing any additional divers geared they may have been in the uh, the van but I only recall seeing two divers geared and then two surface support assigned to each diver okay and then there were some additional people who were just kind of standby
0: yeah so I, I agree with you Mac they, they did an exceptional job uh, you know of, of just you know showing respect for the body and then keeping things covered up and handled. And I'm sure that's from, unfortunately, a lot of experience in, in those type of activities. Now, uh, I, I noticed that there, the we don't get a chance to see the county's dive vehicle too often, but they had what I would call a, a large white step fan, maybe 25 feet in length, 25, 30 feet in length.
2: Yeah, it was a nice long step fan.
0: Yeah, and then they had a, a Zodiac, a little bit smaller than Bob's, uh, with an outboard on it, which they didn't need in this particular case, but I'm, I'm sure they, they brought it probably they needed that as a platform if they had to do, you know, if there was a heavier form of recovery. And uh, and then that, the nice thing about the step van is they have a, they have an area inside where they can gear up. Or we've got our ice shanties that we're keeping warm. They've got the uh, vehicle there. And yeah, all they got this- a
2: couple of nice bench seats in the step van and uh, lockers for all of their gear. Um, nice configuration where they could, you know, get in and out of the elements and have some privacy to change in and out of their gear.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this all took probably. I mean, we got we start. We figured we got in the water maybe ten to fifteen minutes after noon, and I don't think everything. Yeah, you know, I think the recovery was probably about five o'clock. Wouldn't you say? Four o'clock.
2: Yeah, it was closer to five o'clock by the time they you know made the final recovery. And well, no, it was about four thirty. Okay. I'm gonna say about four thirty because we got home just before six and was able to record, get the TV set up to record the news at six, 6 o'clock when they had it on. So. And we stopped to get something to eat for a while, so and warm up as a group. So yeah, it was probably between four and four thirty when they made the actual recovery.
0: So all in all, I mean, it's, yeah, the, the the one thing that I've I've noticed that since my very first river dive is people always ask you what you're doing in the river. Are you looking for a body? And I think this was the first time where you where we weren't looking for one, but we actually had found one. Now, Mac, are, are you aware? Has the club ever found one before?
1: Um. Individually, no. Uh, back in the older days when you could assist them because the legalities were different, uh-huh. uh, we have been on the scene of recoveries, but not necessarily the first person to locate. Okay. Prior to this, I think the only other item we have located is actually we have found uh, urns with remains in them, which is a little different, but still a little startling when you realize what you have in your hand.
0: Yeah.
2: This is the third recovery I've assisted with in my lifetime because I've, you know, been involved with firefighting for the last, you know, almost 40 years. So it's not something you look forward to, but it's a job that has to be done. And you just, my approach is I'd rather do it myself than ask someone else to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Now, Mac, you got another dive in uh, later this week, didn't you?
1: Yes, Jim and I went back out, uh, yesterday, matter of fact, and went back to the same entry point, went upstream a little bit just to verify there was nothing left in the area that might not need to be there. And I could have gone back Monday, uh, to the, uh, sheriff department, and pick up our, our, flags and floats, uh-huh. uh, cause they kept those until they were, until they left the site. And then we just went downstream down to about the third dock just doing a nest pattern just to check what was there and to check the big obstructions in case something else might have been uh, caught in the in the trees and the items downstream. Mm-hmm. And there we just found the obligatory golf balls and fishing poles and mirror and talking about the uh, remains in a canister relocated, the same one we'd seen about nine years ago. Oh. <laughs> and it was like, that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of catfish. Um, we normally haven't been seeing the big babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a big ugly one there. I wasn't sure if it was dead or not, so I got behind it. And the only thing I didn't have was the toggle rope. You know how when we ride catfish? You, you know how we do that, right? No, I've, there- I've
0: never heard of this one. Really? No.
1: Well, back in the days, and I'm, I'm talking in the 70s and 80s, we have been down there on the bottom at this time of year. And it's actually a sandy bottom down there about 17 feet. And we have seen the bottom, we think the bottom is moving, but you go down and it is packed solid with catfish. And I'm not talking two-footers, I'm talking three, four, five, and even six-footers. I mean, they're big as you are. We haven't seen that kind of grouping in in years and years and years. What you're finding now is you're usually seeing a couple or solitary ones. But this would have been a sort of a candidate if it had been about two feet longer. It was only maybe a three-footer but what you do is you find them they're really sort of docile and you know the old cord you use for starting a, uh, an engine yeah well you get one like that but you put a toggle on the other end also like a garret mm-hmm. and then what you do is you get behind the fish the bigger the better you really want something about five foot long all right and you know where his major fin that comes up the one with the little spine yeah all right you use that as your guide so when you get behind him you want it So when you startle them and the fin comes up, you want to be behind it, not in front of it or on top of it. So you you get like you're sort of straddling them without touching them, and you put the noose up in front, and you bump his nose real quick. And when he does that, every freaking time, he'll open his mouth like he's gulping, like, oh, my God. And you yank that between his mouth, and you pull back on it. So what you've done now is captured him. Now, you just scared the hell out of that fish. So as you pull back, you pull his head up so when he kicks that tail going he goes up not into the rocks or the barrel that's in front of him and then you just ride that little sucker until he knocks you off
0: oh gosh oh my
1: and let me tell you the only neat thing is if you got a gopro that makes a hell of a video it would probably go viral
0: that would go viral that would definitely go viral right there the catfish rodeo
1: but we got down there, and that and that one just—I didn't have the toggle, so it was a wasted opportunity. I did sort of pump his tail, got his attention, and uh, he took off like somebody poured gasoline on his butt or something. Wow! But, and there's some other fish out there, which was again surprising. Uh, some good size ones, no no big ones like uh, steelhead or chinook, any mm-hmm. of those.
0: Now, you, you notice anything from the dredging? Was there any change due to that?
1: Well. The the bottles that we were hoping to find were not there. Uh, when you get away from the uh, riprap or the, the debris field of the concrete down the sides, it is actually right now sand, not muck, and the silt is not excuse me is not there yet in the dredged areas. So you'll have a good slope out there at about seventeen feet, that whole length, or at least the whole length we went.
0: Yeah, well, because I know I that when we, that we go out with the boat, we're sometimes sand. only getting four foot draft.
1: Right. And right now, you've got a really nice valley there. Uh, a lot of bricks. Um, the bottles were mostly whiskey, and that's normally up on the slope and the shallows. That's where you're going to find uh, the fishing poles because that's where they get snagged or the fish grab them and yank them in. Uh, very seldom you find that. A lot of big trees, a lot of concrete with rebar. Uh, with a fast current, that would not be the place with zero viz to be playing that.
0: Yeah, that, that you know, rebar in your chest is not a good thing to be impaled on.
1: Right. Especially when you get the, the stuff that looks like fence fencing,
0: uh-huh. the
1: sharp edges coming out that's, you know, smaller than the big one-inch circles or half-inch circles. That's, that's the nasty stuff. And, you know, the regular drums, you'll find out there and a backpack, a couple of phones, but they're all broken in half, which was odd to find them broken in half. So maybe this uh, Saturday, those who go out, we can either hit the river there or we can go to Whirlpool Basin because mm-hmm. visibility wasn't bad. I mean, it, it's three to five foot, but when I say five, it, it's not clear. It's heavy particulate yeah. and diffused. Uh, and by then, the sun was, we didn't have any sun on Wednesday. So uh, had we had sun, I think it would have been really, really nice.
0: Yeah, that, that sun makes a big difference. Especially when you got the sand like that.
1: Yeah. And I think Bob wants to go out on Sunday, so we got two days for people to pick and choose.
0: Now, where's Bob want to go?
1: He wants. Uh, I think he wants to take the boat someplace. Oh, really? That's that's what I thought I heard. I know they like Lake 16, so that's still an opportunity. Or Go Lake, that's another favorite in that neighborhood.
0: Yeah. So some good diving opportunities coming up this weekend.
1: Yep. At least two.
0: And
2: oh, we're gosh. open to anybody in the area
0: who wants to join us. Yeah, yep. drop us a line if you happen to be close by.
1: Yep. Any of you guys jump doing this weekend or not?
0: I, I think I am. I just need to get clearance on to which day or both days or neither day <laughs> that I can, I can get out.
1: You know, the only disadvantage of this weekend is it's supposed to be a high of 21 on Saturday.
0: Well, that means you're, get, you're warming up to, when you get in the water.
1: Oh, yeah. That's okay, man. You're going to say, wow, this is like a sauna. Yeah. Not, but... yeah
0: 37 <laughs> degrees is toasty. <laughs>
1: Yeah, compared to the air.
0: Yeah, well, we're, well, we're going to be them. building some ice now. It was like sixty degrees a couple days ago.
1: I'm not sure, but yep. sixty. I know it was in the in the fifties
0: for sure.
2: Yeah, it was. Well, it was fifty three on Saturday when we were doing that dive. So we're going from fifty three on one weekend to twenty three the next.
0: Yeah, that's this time of year. We're going to be building some ice. I think I think we're going to have an ice dive for New Year's Eve.
1: I don't know. It have to get awful solid. And right now we plan on bearing, so if it is, uh, we'd have to get out there a little early and crack a, crack a trail
0: yeah. and
1: uh, make sure we have the lines, because if it's got anything, even skim ice, if it's over an inch, uh, I really don't want anybody out there without a rope on.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did. It, well, we, we ex- kind of experienced that last year at the uh, yacht club there on Pawpaw. Yeah. At, uh, you know, that And that was, I would say, half inch maybe. And that tires you out, breaking through that ice.
1: Well, if you're under it trying to get up in the muck, it's oh. going to be a little hard to break that one-inch height.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you, and the thing is you just can't get a purchase to kick up against it. You'd have to work your way to the shallows, get your back against the bottom, and then kick up.
1: Right, and if you're there without a rope, you have no vis, and that is not the place to be.
0: No, yeah, that would be a bad situation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot tougher than you think. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed on google plus it's www.google.com forward slash plus scuba obsessed uh, follow us on twitter at scuba obsessed we love those five star reviews so if you're enjoying the program go on the itunes leave us a five star review we certainly appreciate that and you can also do the same thing on talk Talkshoe has that we are on the wrvo radio network so we thank to all our listeners on there and we're also on stitcher smart radio If you haven't signed up for Stitcher, sign up for Stitcher. Put in SCUBA for the code when you sign up, and that gives us credit for getting you on there. Not that we'll actually ever get anything from it, but it's still on there. We get get quite a few Stitcher listeners. Uh, It's a nice service they've got going on. Uh, Guys, got anything you want to plug before we go? No, I think we're just... I'm sorry, go ahead. What was that Mac?
1: I just I can't think of anything right off other than if you're gonna be doing the New Year's dive, uh, you might want to get in the water before then, check your gear out, fix the leaks, and uh, you'll feel a little more comfortable if you've been in in some kind of currency phase. You wanna be a little current when you get out there.
0: Yeah, be a little bit of current and also you, you make sure you get all those potential cold leaks taken care of before that New Year's Eve dive. So are we ready for that time of the show?
2: Yes We are sir. ready for that time of the show.
0: Okay. This one, I think, also qualifies as bad. An elderly couple has dinner in another couple's house. Afterwards, the wives leave the table and go to the kitchen. One man says the other, last night we went to this new restaurant and it was really great. The other man says, what's the name of the restaurant? The first man thinks and thinks and finally says, what's in the name of the red flower with the one with the thorns? You mean Rose? Yeah, that's the one. The man replies, he shouts, hey, Rose, what's the name of the restaurant we went to last night?
1: That's about right. <laughs> you
0: did say older guys, didn't you? Yeah, older guys. You notice I didn't say they were divers. I thought I'd say uh, the divers to grief this week. So, until next week, go out there and get wet.
1: And stay safe.
0: And for the PETA members, no taxis were harmed in the rodeo this week.